This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Misfits of Science, Episode 1. This is Billy talking now. Look, I know what we're asking is a lot here. But you've got to try to think of what an experience like this could do to help Gloria, too. Help her to use her powers constructively. To build her confidence, her, self, her self-esteem. To show her that being weird is, is special. That weird is okay. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast for weird people by weird people. <laughs> I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Will a Tina Turner fan club card work? <laughs> that was your favorite line from the whole show? Yeah, this one that stuck out. <laughs> well, this week we are starting a new series, Misfits of Science from 1985. Mm-hmm. So Jordan... Had you heard of this show before? Uh, I certainly hadn't. This is uh, when you said, "What about this?" I was like, "I don't know what this is." No, I'd never heard of it. It seems like, it seems like it's one of those shows where no one remembers it. However, I'm gonna say, maybe they should. <laughs> oh, a preview of things to come. Jordan's first ten point score. <laughs> it's not quite a ten, but I think it's uh, it's a fun little uh, fun little TV movie. It aired on NBC from October 4th, 1985 to February 21st, 1986. Um, So that's kind of the world this show is living in at that point. Mm -hmm. And before we get into it, Jordan, I just thought we'd uh, have a look at the world around Misfits of Science. Did we watch any other shows at this time? No, there's no shows happen in this space of time. Weird. (laughs) Is it? Okay. Well, I just think of all the shows we watched, you think there'd be an overlap, but I guess that we've now, we've found that sweet spot. I think we've done every single year in the 80s then. You think so? I'd I think love we're probably to know pretty if close. we have. That's very curious. Yeah, someone else can look it up. <laughs> um, but what was happening in the world is November 20th, 1985, Microsoft releases Windows 1.0. Oh, wow. Finally, the future's coming, Jordan. Windows is here. Here's a question of someone who doesn't use uh, a PC. Do they still do that? Do they still call it that operating system? Or have they gone on to like fun things like they're like Ferrari or whatever? What do you mean? It's called Windows still. No, no, Windows. But do they still call it like Windows 0.6? Or do they call it like Windows uh, Fun Time? You know, are they still I mean, into numbers? There have been variations. There's been Windows XP and Windows Vista. There you go. That's what I believe it is Windows 8. Window, oh, it's oh, so they are still numbers. Okay. I mean, I don't know why I'm asking. I don't really care. <laughs> you, you're very, you're very excited for a crazy name. Like, what do they call? What do they call uh, the OS on Mac? It's like Mac uh, Puma or something. Yeah, it's always something stupid. What's mine now? Hold on. I'm on. Uh, 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 this will this will date this. If someone listens later, I'm on Monterey, Monterey, Mon, Mon, something like that. Monterey. <laughs> very evocative stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else, Jordan? January 24th, 24th, 1986. Voyager 2 probe arrives and don't laugh at Uranus. <laughs> you know what's funny? Before you, just as you started this uh, talking about things that were happening, in my head, and this is terrible, I was thinking, man, I hope the Challenger exploding is one of those. But um, I don't know why. But uh, but this is close. It's uh, I don't remember this one. I have no memory or knowledge of uh, this thing going to Uranus. Did it land and everything worked? 
no no voyager 2 is one of the ones that just kind of it, it, it visited a few planets and now i believe it's it's left our solar system and is in like super space now it's like way out there right right it's just just space garbage yeah january 28th 1986 jordan space shuttle challenger disaster oh is it really four days later jordan I knew, you know what's funny? I just knew it was around there somewhere. I mean, I don't, I shouldn't be excited about the horrible. Why horrible are you so disaster. excited about this? <laughs> I just, You're like, those I just, teachers had it coming. Is that what it was? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Everyone got their comeuppance. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, February 19th, 1986. Soviet Union launches Mir Space Station. Hmm. Interesting. There's a lot of space related things happen at this time. Yeah, a very busy space period of time in uh, in the world. Apparently, you would think there'd be more uh, in Misfits. I should I shouldn't say that. I mean, we haven't even got all the episodes yet. Maybe there is space related episodes. No, who's to say? Well, Jordan, and I've got I've got four deaths for you as well. You love deaths. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've given your love of this challenger. You love deaths. Yeah, yeah, I do. And are any of the people you're listing uh, people who died in the challenger? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not listing any of them. Okay. Two days before the show comes out, October 2nd, Jordan, Rock Hudson dies. Oh, Rock Hudson, uh, famous for, uh, what was the thing we just watched? It was... Um, uh, the Martian uh, Chronicles. Uh, the Martian Chronicles, yeah, yeah. Uh, October 10th, 1985, Jordan, Yul Brenner oh, from Westworld fame, of course. Yeah, Yul Brenner. And Orson Welles. Oh, wow. What a time. January 24th, Jordan. Mm-hmm. L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. Well, we know it's funny because he's funny. But uh, of all the deaths, I think that's the funniest. I mean, you know, any man to start a cult probably gets a little giggle. Yeah, I agree. February 11th, Frank Herbert, author of Dune, passes away. Wow, man, this was a this was a rough period of time. Yeah, we had, we have a few a few connections to the podcast this time around with these deaths. Hmm. Any famous births? Yeah, I got a couple. I was gonna, I wasn't gonna list them off, but do you want these famous births as well? Yeah, give me a couple. Give me, give me the highlights. Cheer you up a little bit. <laughs> after the, after being reminded of the challenger, yeah. <laughs> uh, what do we got? November twenty first, nineteen eighty five. Yeah, Carly Rae Jepsen. Carly Rae. Well, uh, she's she's the uh, um, uh, call me maybe right. Yeah, she's the Canadian pop star. Right, right, yeah. And December fifth. Frankie Muniz. Oh, it's a what's his face? Old uh, Malcolm in the Middle, right? Malcolm in the Middle gets born. He's one of those guys who unfortunately um, stayed looking the same forever, but he's just sort of like a piece of fruit that's like being left on a, a shelf, you know? It's hard to be a child actor, I think. You're, yeah, you. They want you to come in with a certain look, but uh, they don't want you to have it after a certain age. But that's exactly. just what you look like. Yeah. All right, Jordan. Shall we get into this episode? Let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for episode one, Deep Freeze. Doctors Hayes and Lincoln are researchers in biological oddities for the Humanidine Company. When they find a man still alive after being frozen for 50 years, their greedy boss fires them and takes the Iceman, for, <laughs> takes the Iceman to use for military experiments. Um, and I've truncated that slightly, but that was courtesy of Jean-Marc Rocher. Jean-Marc. Um, weird. Jean-Marc. Is it Jean-Marc? John Mock, yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it matters. Um, I don't know if I agree with uh, with that plot. The main thing of the, the episode is not uh, old Frozen Boy, Popsicle Man. It's uh, um, the neutron beam. Wouldn't you agree? 
I mean, I think they like I said, I truncated the the synopsis, so there's about five more paragraphs. Oh, okay, all right, fair enough. So I think he covers all of it later, but I just was like, this is too much to say aloud. Hey, let me say right off the bat, um, there's two guest stars in this because I'm pretty sure they're not going to be in, in later episodes. Um, it's our old friend Larry Linville making his third appearance on the podcast and third this season too. And also, uh, there's another actor who maybe I only recognize, which is Edward Winter. And only because he was also a recurring character in MASH, he played a Colonel Flagg, who was not a favorite character of mine. They brought him back all the time, and it was like a little too on point with the satire. So I never really liked it that much. But uh, it's weird that these two MASH characters are in every scene together in this show, but considerably older. I love that everything is just somehow mash related. Yeah, it really is. Well, it's just like, I think when you have a cast of like 10 people, it just like, you know, and it's on for 20 years. It's just what's going to happen. This show, Mr. The Science, starts off with a pretty, I thought it was a pretty cool little universal monster homage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got that like classic organ music going. Yeah, yeah, and you've got a big office tower shot at kind of a canted angle that gets hit by lightning and like the, the signage lights up as it's hit. And this is because inside a, a strange-looking sarcophagus is being powered up by the lightning, and it's a it's a cryogenic unit designed in 1937 for billionaire Howard Hubert, I believe they called him. Mm-hmm. So th- it's supposed to be like a Howard Hughes type thing. I think so. I think so. And um, this this unit has, was was in storage for all these years because I guess it never worked properly. But like the man who had built the unit, Arnold Beefneater. Uh, had come in, I guess, to help try to fix it, and had it got frozen inside at some point uh, 50 years ago. Okay, I'm glad you caught that, because I didn't. And throughout the course of the episode, by the time I'm getting to, we get to, like, the third act, I kept thinking, did they ever explain why he's a frozen guy? Because, we'll just say this now, he's going to get unfrozen pretty soon, and... He only ever really says Amelia because of Amelia Earhart, which we could talk about. But I don't know if that all connects together very well from this explanation. Does does it does it hold together? What do you mean? I mean, I understood. <laughs> well, I understand, but like, uh, why is he only ever saying Amelia Earhart? I don't know why. I don't actually. And here's the thing: what well, we can talk about it now. He's unfrozen, and he essentially just looks like a like seven foot tall frozen Orson Welles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he has this. They've done this similar sort of like, um, uh, it's like it's like what you'd you'd think you'd see in a sitcom. He's like a little bit silvery bluish color, and he's got like white eyebrows because they're frozen. And uh, yeah, but he's played by um, I can't remember his name. It's um, uh, Mickey Jones. Uh, who I we've recognize seen him, but I couldn't tell you what it was from. Yeah, Mickey Jones is like a musician uh, actor. He's also from the band. The band, the band. That's right. No, great. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's having fun. But yeah, he is sort of this like Iceman, you know, painted blue. And he only ever says Amelia. And midway through the episode, they're just going to make the assumption he's saying Amelia because that's also the year Amelia Earhart went missing. But it, I I was just, I kept waiting for the turn where they reveal like Amelia was also his like wife's name or something. And he's seeking his wife. But there's never another turn. He just that's always yells I mean. Amelia. That's why I was confused because I, I I guess I was waiting for the same thing. I was like, what's going to be the connection as as opposed to like, I guess it it's it's the same as if it was nineteen thirty nine and he gets frozen and he comes out and just keeps saying Hitler. Like I guess that's the the point. It's just it's like a just a timestamp for him. Why why of all the names would you pick that one? Well, because 
okay, I'm sorry. It's, uh, uh I don't know. It's, uh. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's just it's very ni- funny to it's, me. It's, that- it's, it's 1920 and it's Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> Charlie. Out of curiosity, Jordan, uh, what, what would you say is uh, Charlie Chaplin's most famous role to you? The Tramp? Okay, good. Why? Were you... I thought for sure you'd say the little dictator because you all all you think oh. is Hitler. <laughs> I, I see your point. I see your point. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Jordan. Do you remember when Charlie Chaplin's uh, Charlie Chaplin's body was stolen? Do you remember that? I, I do remember when we read that little piece of trivia a, on one of these shows. What a bizarre little uh, 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 epilogue to one's life. I mean, it's weird to be famous. I think. I think so. I. Th- <laughs> I think that sums it up. Yeah, it's just weird to be famous. Weird stuff happens. I mean, when someone eventually steals your body, no one's going to report on it. No, exactly. They're going to do whatever they want with it for the rest of the time. I mean, honestly, who cares? Go, go, go to town. <laughs> what do you? What do I? Do? I'm not using it anymore. I, I'm astroplaning. You're astroplaning, <laughs> and as you listener can't see this, but Jordan made the moves of surfing on a surfboard. <laughs> that's that's what it's like. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Well, this frozen man that they've taken from the uh, from this rich man's storage unit in his giant uh, thing. Can I mention something? In the credits, he's he's credited as Arnold, and then in quotes, beef, and also in quotes, Iceman, beef kneader. So I think <laughs> they they never figured out what we we're supposed to call him. So do you want to call him Iceman or beef? I mean, whatever you like. And I'm assuming by the credits you mean IMDb, where people just couldn't figure it out. That's right. I think we call him Beef because it's funnier. All right. Well, I mean, they do call him Beef quite a bit. His name yeah. is Arnold Beefneater, yeah. but Beef is a good name. Yeah. Okay. Beef. Um, beef is transported to the Humidine uh, organization, which is, a, is a, as it says on the sign coming in, the largest defense contractor in the U.S. Yeah. There's like different wings of like sort of research and technology and things are happening. And the, the people we're going to focus on um, is this one group. I, I know they like, what was their actual title of this group's uh, uh, office and their, their the department? The sign on the door said the human investigations team. Right. And then there was another little sign that someone hand wrote that said, weird are us. And you go, yes, oh, weird they're, are us. They're, they're definitely misfits. They're definitely the black sheep of this research organization we come to learn very quickly. Yeah. And it's headed up, the human investigations team, by two people, Dr. Bill Hayes and Dr. Elvin Lincoln. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's Billy, they always call him. And then for some reason, Elvin's nickname is L. Everyone, Almost everyone gets a nickname in this. So he's L. It's very, I mean, beef. Everyone gets, it's heavily 80s. It's heavily nickname based. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you felt about uh, Dr. Bill Hayes and Dr. Alvin Lincoln, but I got, like, there's strong Ghostbusters vibes going on here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, throughout this whole thing, and it's, and it's uh, I wouldn't say it's a knock against this show. I think it works pretty well. But you can tell how popular Ghostbusters was because it's running through this show. Yeah. Dr. Hayes is essentially Bill Murray's Venkman, and <laughs> yeah. Dr. Lincoln is basically Harold Ramis's Egon. Like, he's a straight man scientist with yeah. a, like caddy kind like he's a bit of a cat he's a bit of a ladies man that's that's our dr hayes character but but dr uh, lincoln l elvin lincoln he's gigantic and did you know what he uh he's acted in some things do you know what he's kind of most famous for uh, i i did a quick look and i did see that he was the predator in that's the predator it. film that's right yeah he did a lot of like monster things because he's I, I don't know how tall but he's very very tall he's got to be over six five he's very tall did you know who, who he replaced on predator 
Uh, oh, I'm pretty sure Jean-Claude Van Damme, am I right? Yes, exactly. Jean-Claude mm-hmm. Van Damme was the original alien, which was... Have you seen the original uh, Predator costume? No, I don't think I did. It's like a big bug. <laughs> so it was the right decision they made. Everything was correct in that decision to replace them. Right, right. Anyways, but uh, yeah, he's... he's uh, it's You're right. There's sort of like a... Um, uh, odd couple thing they kind of lean in a little bit to this but it's more just you you know that's just the the character dynamic that we have yeah it's a wacky scientist and mm-hmm. apparently what happens in this in the world of the show is that usually anytime anyone finds a strange person or as they call them on the show a weird person that's the designation for anyone with an unusual power mm-hmm. they are somehow end up at the human investigations team um, and we know this because as they're wheeling in, they have like a cool like ER emergency scene where they're wheeling the Iceman through and the secretary is coming along giving giving Dr. Hayes' messages. And they're like, oh, the, a mom with a fire breathing kid called and, and the invisible man called to complain that he keeps stopping by, but you won't talk to him. Yeah. So and, and I think this was pretty well done in terms of uh, how to get some exposition across. It's like it's done quickly. You get a sense of you're like you're right. The kind of weird cases these people have done as sort of building the history and also to what you're going to expect, you know, later on in this show. Yeah. It's kind of, you're kind of starting a little media in res. Like we understand that like weird people is like a thing they deal with all the time and Mm -hmm. we're just going with it. Just, just go on for the ride. Exactly. Um, but the rest of this Humadine organization is run by a gentleman named Dr. Strickland. And I believe this might be the mash character you're talking about. Uh, well, he's the, the military guy. Well, there's there Larry Lin, Lindholm is the military guy, but then there's a man who runs it called Doctor Strickland. And you said they were hanging out together all the time. I don't know who this other guy you're talking about. Oh, uh, well, there's the two the two sort of military guys that are always together. That the other guy is Edward Winter. Okay, so this Anyways. is the doctor who runs Humadine. Then right, he's not a military yeah. guy. No, he's not a military. He's a separate guy. Yes. Okay. Great. Um, he essentially runs this this organization in a. A very, he's very much a capitalist. He's always trying to find how to militarize their discoveries for the U.S. government kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately for Dr. Hayes and Dr. Lincoln, the human investigations team doesn't do a good job at that. They're, they're, their biggest, they say their biggest uh, research discoveries so far have been elastic skin. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and, and then you get a real visual gag coming up. Yeah, they, they pan the camera over and there's one extremely large rabbit that's a giant puppet and then one extremely small rabbit that's just a tiny rabbit and they're like and we made these two different sized rabbits it's funny i i wasn't sure the first what to think when i saw that because it's so sort of arresting but it definitely sets the tone of the kind of for lack of a better term zaniness you're gonna you're gonna see in the next hour and a half it's sort of like anything goes like just just have fun with it don't think about this too much yeah it's 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 gonna be fun it's gonna be wacky yeah Hey, can I ask you one thing, Luke? Yeah, of course. Would you rather have a really small rabbit that stays small all the time, or would you rather have that big rabbit? Oh, the little one. It's so adorable. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's. I think the idea of having the big rabbit is fun for like an afternoon, and then you're like, this is a lot of work. I think the little rabbit's where you want to go. I think the problem is the big rabbit isn't big enough to ride. <laughs> yeah, because what would you say? It's like the size of like, I don't know, like, like a medium-sized dog. Is it that big? I mean, maybe a beanbag, a big okay. beanbag. You'd say. <laughs> it's a big beanbag chair. <laughs> At any rate, uh, as Hayes and Lincoln have uh, this big like doctor show opening where they're getting dragged in, where, what we're kind of learning is that like the frozen man needs his life saved, his heart rate's dropping, they can't figure out why, and they're able to like piece together. It's like, oh, somehow he needs to stay frozen, or as he warms up, he will die. So they like 
as he's having a guy, like his heart palpitations or whatever, they throw him into a freezer and it kind of like evens out his thing. And they're like, oh, his this whole frozen man's weird thing is he needs to stay very cold or he dies. And uh, I should note, Luke, I don't know if you, you saw this. Uh, so this uh, character, Beef, uh, Arnold Beef, Beef Neater, he was originally intended to be through the whole series, but he's only going to be in this episode. Did you read that? No, I didn't. But I had a feeling i watched yeah. it and i was just like i have a feeling the frozen man's gonna be the one they cut out of this show yeah so but the reason they cut it out is <laughs> i'll make this really quick is i would just say sort of marvel comics pre uh their bankruptcy were like like really really litigious and uh there was a character i think that's also named arnold beef Eater or something similar and they just said if you do this character we're suing you and because they have a similar character. Oh, so, whoa. So Marvel personally ended yeah. this. Yeah, they ended it. And so they're like, all right, we'll get rid of this character. So that that's why the character is gone. That's very funny. I mean, yeah. it w- maybe we would have finally found out who Amelia was if he had stuck around. But we definitely don't get that any payoff in this episode. But but anyway, looking forward, I think it is the reason where they're going to have like uh, their sort of like Ecto-1, their, uh, their vehicles and ice cream truck. And I think the whole point of it was that you could always have this character be in there because he's in the freezer. But he is gone after this episode, and they keep the the truck apparently, which I think is fun. It's a fun little uh, um, Scooby Doo esque sort of thing. That's funny. I didn't realize the ice cream truck was also going to become their regular mode of conveyance. Yeah, that's it. It's very funny too because in this opening sequence where they bring Beef into the uh, into the human investigations team, he they the he's showing up in an ambulance that is the Ghostbusters ambulance. I know it's funny. At any rate, they're doing this off on their sort of side. And while they're doing that, the Dr. Strickland, the man who runs the organization, he's teamed up with a U.S. general, a general named Thale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe this is your Larry Lindholm That's right. friend. Linville, yep. And Linville's actually great in this because he's playing a real war hawk. He's like chomping on a cigar. This is probably the best character we've seen him play, I think. Yeah, he's uh, he, he's doing the the evil military general exactly like you think it would be. Like there's, he's just a cartoon character and he's just, he's going for it. And it works well for this show. Yeah. I, I've, of all the things we've seen him in this year, I was like, oh, he is the best in this right here. Yeah. Yeah. At any rate, what has happened is Humadine has uh, created a neutron beam, which is a, uh, a beam that dis- I assume destabilizes atoms in an object and like kind of obliterates it as the idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, uh, like a horrific sort of Death Star-esque military weapon. Yeah, and it's it's essentially going to be the next atomic bomb, and Thales like really excited for it. He's like he's just like he really wants the edge in the Cold War, and they've for some reason they've invited all the senators in Congress <laughs> to have dinner. They're all just sitting around a table eating as they pitch them the idea for this neutron beam. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing that, and and I don't know if this holds holds that well together throughout this show because it becomes sort of like. One of the plots, obviously, the plot is putting this team together, these misfits of science, and the second plot is the, you know, the obstacle they need to take over, which is going to be, or defeat, uh, and it's going to be this neutron beam. But the whole thing of how it comes about and the sort of, like, structure of how government and military work together, it's like they've given it no thought. Just like, yeah, the senators uh, in the states all just sit around a table, and the military pitches them a weapon, and they and they just unilaterally say yay or nay and for funding. I'm like, what? I don't know if this is how this works. That's exactly how it works, George. Everybody knows. <laughs> Anyways, but they do have that sort of like um, uh, Doctor Strangelove uh, bunker-esque sort of round table. They all sit around as, as they're pitching this military weapon. I mean, it's very 1985 in the idea of just, like, a real mistrust of the military and the government and, like, atomic bombs. Like, mm-hmm. that, like it all feels very of its era. Yeah, I agree. 
at any rate, Congress is interested in in it, but it's so dangerous, the idea of this weapon, that they're like, we'll give you money to build it, but first you need to prove that you can store it in a place that's so secure it can never be stolen from the U.S. military. Yeah, which is such a weird, a weird, like, uh, plot point, because it is going to be the whole point of this, is that it's not so much that the United States has this weapon, is that it's a secure weapon. Yes, really, the the plot is not that whether they build it or not. Congress is on board. Yeah, uh, they're just like we just need to know it's going to be so safe it can never be stolen. But of course, the big twist is that um, uh, Thale, General Thale, and this uh, Doctor Strickland actually have already built the weapon and tested it and like blew up an island in the ocean. They just keep watching this footage on repeat. Yeah, he like loves it. He just keeps watching. It. It's his favorite thing. And um, they're just like not telling anyone they built it. They want to get approval first, and then they'll have built it very quickly, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, it's the very uh, uh, ask forgiveness later sort of uh, strategy. But there's a there's an older scientist who works at the at the uh, at the organization Humadine, and I guess he used to be in charge, but he's been demoted and now Strickland's there. And his name's Doctor Mumquest, or as he's called most episode, Doctor Mum. Doctor Mum, yep. Um, and he he like is trying to tell Congress it's not a great idea because in all the computer simulations they've done, the beam has destabilized the world and blown. <laughs> Which is not a good thing. But no one's no one's overly interested in his opinion on that. It's yeah, just a small glitch. Exactly. Anyway, while they're having this meeting with Congress, Dr. Hayes is like, well, there, here's a good chance for me to try to like get a little extra money for my human investigation division. So he kind of just like walks in and interrupts the meeting mid. Very, very Peter Venkman style. Walks in and interrupts midway through and kind of pitches the general on like, he's like, hey, my division does all kinds of cool stuff. Like, I, I what if I uh, made you a sea, like a soldier who can see in the dark, breathe underwater and be 10 feet tall? And they're like, and the general's like, that's amazing. I want that. Let's do that too. Yeah. He essentially comes in and he's like, hey, uh, what about the X-Men? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we like the X-Men. Um, and as he's doing this, someone kind of interrupts the meeting again. A third interruption comes in and there's like, there's a problem in the human investigations division. And the, the entirety of Congress and the general, everybody gets up from the meeting and goes down to see the problem together. Yeah, as one, as you know, as you would. And uh, what it is is the the frozen Iceman beef. He's he's just trashing the entire lab. He's freezing things on his uh, by touch. He's screaming Amelia. And uh, General Thale sees this and he likes what he sees. He's like, I'm into this giant frozen man. <laughs> yeah, I do like that. This happens a few times where um, the general, anytime he sees like a superpower or something. He never, he's never worried about what's happening. Like people are getting killed or vehicles are getting destroyed. He's just like, I could use that. That's useful. That'd be good. I want that. Yeah. And of course, so Strickland's like, well, you guys did good work this one time. We're going to take beef. We're going to bring him to our military labs to experiment on. Um, But also you're both fired. We're closing down human investigations. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's a very um, a Ghostbusters-esque sort of thing of like, can you believe these guys that you like? They just had their, their facility shut down. Exactly, exactly. The, the man has shut them yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. And we get into now is that they kind of leave and are kind of discussing what they're going to do with themselves now that their investigation is in. And we get some of the most insane character development scenes I've ever seen for <laughs> Dr. Alvin Lincoln. <laughs> And I mean, I got to say, it's so weird because, as you mentioned, he's very tall. He's like seven foot two. And what we see them doing is they're just shooting hoops, or at least Dr. Hayes is shooting hoops, not Dr. Lincoln, in this like outdoor park. And what we come to learn is Dr. Lincoln is very tall, but he is bad at basketball. Yeah. And this has been a humiliation to him his whole life to the point that he says 
he was so bad at basketball and was tall that he became a scientist to find a way to be shorter. This is his entire character motivation. Yeah. Uh, this is this is low-key racist, I think, right? Well, <laughs> yes. I, I kind of thought the same thing. It's a weird thing because what it almost seems like is they had a character and then they were like, well, we have to cast a really tall guy. But if we cast a tall guy, we have to constantly mention how tall he is. It's like this weird thing. Like you can't not mention it for some reason. But yes, the whole motivation has to be about basketball. And he's like, but he's like, he's like ashamed of it. He's black and he's tall, but he's bad at basketball. So it's the thing that has defined his life is that he's so ashamed of this to the point that he became a scientist to make himself shorter to get rid of his basketballness. But we do find the the you know that whole questionable material aside, uh, what we find out is that he has now come up with a serum. Which now, Luke, explain this to me. He has like it's like ready on the back of his neck. Is that right, or do we just never see him actually poke himself? It's weird because yeah, he, he he's the one who invented big bunny, small bunny, and apparently that serum he has injected into himself, and it lives. Like, some sort of trigger to activate it lives in the base of his neck. So we do see him press the base of his mm-hmm. neck at some point. But why the sack of serum lives there, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, so it, it doesn't really matter. It's just so he could just touch the back of his head. And what happens is he gets real tiny. And he gets to be like, what would you say? Maybe like like 10 inches, something like that? Well, I'd say he becomes about the size of a Ken doll. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And uh, and what they say is it takes 14 minutes for the hormone to wear off, which I like is a little inbuilt sort of uh, uh, thing. So you know that uh, he's not going to be stuck that way. And also he's not it's not going to present too many problems where they could just get around any problem by making him small. Yes. Well, he, he says he can be small for 14 minutes and he can only use it once an hour. Oh, that's right. Right. That's once an hour. All the rules are set very quickly. Yeah, I think all the characters. Oh, no, maybe not Gloria. I think all the characters have um inbuilt uh things to to keep them from being overpowered yeah i think all the all the weirds will meet uh, over this they all kind of have like a limit to how much they can use their power usually it's quite it's not a lot and then they are tired and they have to regenerate usually is the case and let me just say this uh when we're eventually going to beat johnny johnny b (laughs) near the end of this movie uh they go, hey, Johnny B, can you do something? He goes, I'm tapped out. And then they do that about four times at one point. Like, they just keep coming back to him. And he's, I was like, he already said he's tapped out. They're like, are you now? And he's like, guys, I'm tapped out. And then two minutes past, they're like, now? He's like, I'm tapped out. And I was like, guys, why are we putting this in the show? Anyways. <laughs> they got, they need you to know, people get tapped out in this show. Yeah, but it's just like over and over and over. I'm like, he told you once, enough. It's the pilot. They need to really drive him <laughs> At any rate, uh, Dr. Lincoln basically is just like, hey, listen, why don't we try to get our our unit back? I've I've made myself small. I can make myself very tiny now. Why don't I offer myself up as like proof of concept to make soldiers tiny? I'll give myself over to the military in order to mm-hmm. get, our, get our department back, basically. And this is kind of where they reveal that um, in their time with that job, they've actually met a lot of weird people, people with crazy things that they've never told kind of their bosses about they've kind of been protecting the weird people of the world the x-men if you will of the world right so this is kind of you see there's there there are maybe more out there that they they've they've encountered but not told anyone that's why the military doesn't realize there's that such a useful organization Mm -hmm. but back at humanidine strickland and the general 
they're very excited about this Iceman they've captured. And they're also very excited about their new neutron beam. Like, everything's going well. And Dr. Mumquest kind of catches them as they're discussing and, uh, and also watching that video on loop for some reason of the neutron beam. And Dr. Mumquest is just like, hey, you can't do that. I can't believe you built it. You lied to everybody. And they're like, oh, well, you've caught us. So I guess we're going to torture you to death by running experiments on you and the beef man. Yeah, I didn't quite understand what that was because what it almost seemed like was they were doing some sort of like uh, consciousness transfer something because I think they were hooked up together. But I was like, for what purpose? And the and the answer is they don't explain it. No, they don't explain it. I I was either my assumption was because they and I mean also like I guess they're so powerful they can just murder the second in command and no one will notice. But whatever. I think the idea was they were going to put the beef man and Doctor Mum together, and I guess they're going to see what would happen if they maybe transfer try to transfer his the frozen powers to him it's unclear right right um but at any rate they they drag him off they they're gonna strap him to a bed they sedate dr mom who i don't think we've mentioned is uh, approximately 95 years old so <laughs> he's, he's very very old he's quite old um but they sedate him but he's still able to sort of like get up in a state of sedation find a telephone call dr hayes and kind of warn him that they're going to do some military experiments to to beef and uh, that kind of like triggers Dr. Hayes and Dr. Lincoln did like do something. They're like, we got to put a team of weird people together and save beef. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And first up, of course, is the rock star, Johnny Bukowski. Yeah, Johnny Bukowski, who is obsessed with the song Johnny Be Good for some reason. And his nickname is also Johnny B. And uh, the little bit of uh, backstory we get on this is that him and Billy had some sort of falling out of sorts. So when they, when, um, uh, L and Billy show up to like he's like he's like lives in like a trailer or like a little house in the desert sort of as soon as they show up they're like oh thing I guess uh I wonder if he's gotten over our fight and he like shoots shoots lightning bolts at them so you're like uh oh there's gonna be tension here but it's only for like two scenes <laughs> yes Johnny B got fried by twenty thousand votes at a rock show he was he was performing at and it has turned him to give him the ability to. Uh, absorb ambient electricity and shoot electricity out of his fingers one two his eyes will glow when he's charged up and three he can move as fast as lightning yeah uh and didn't he remind you a lot of that greg evigan movie oh that's the sun the sun man yeah yeah whatever that movie was it was it was very similar sort of character where he like pulls electricity out of stuff i mean that one was he just gets powerful by being in the sun oh that's right yeah yeah and didn't he have to wear special sunglasses oh I don't remember. <laughs> I think if you you're an electricity person, you have to wear sunglasses. It goes with the territory. Uh, well, I mean, you should wear sunglasses if you're a cool guy, Jordan. <laughs> That's right. And and they they really want to push uh, the idea that Johnny B is real cool. As you said, he had gone to see the human investigations team years ago after he got this power to try to get some help from Doctor Hayes and Doctor Lincoln. And you did you did mention there's there's some bad blood there, but I guess you yeah. didn't catch what the bad blood was, which was crazy to me is they say that while he was there, Dr. Hayes would, like, hassle him and shoot him with a water gun. (laughs) I didn't remember that. And at first I was like, okay, that's weird, but, like, I guess maybe, you know, it's a bit annoying. But later we will see Johnny B gets his foot wet for two seconds and gets a bad electricity burn from it. So that means while this man was seeking help, Dr. Hayes was squirting him with a gun, causing electricity, painful electricity burns on this poor man who was there trying to get help for this, like, problem he has dr Mm -hmm. hayes sounded like a bit of a monster (laughs) yeah they it's it's funny we've seen versions of this character before as a lead to his show 
he maybe pushes a little bit more into the like you're right that sort of like bill murray peter vankman sort of character but there's a lot of like ain't he a stinker when you're a lot of times you're like oh he might just be a horrible jerk yeah, so it seems like people maybe like him because perhaps he's bad. <laughs> like we even we even have um because uh, there's there's not enough for one uh love story. There has to be two that they kind of hint at in the show. And later on, we're gonna meet a character that is essentially like uh someone that Billy was dating, but he was just horrible to. That's like the thing, and she's like angry at him because he was horrible to her. <laughs> ain't, ain't he a stinker, Jordan? Yeah, ain't he a stinker? <laughs> at any rate. You know, there's this bad blood, but he's very easily convinced. Johnny B's like, okay, I will come with you after Dr. Lincoln reveals he can shrink to be tiny. And he's also, he's also weird now. So maybe all these we- all weird should join together and be heroes. And, it, you know, it doesn't take much convincing because we need to move on with the show. Yeah. And I agree. This, this actually moves at a pretty good clip. Like, they don't spend too much time worrying about things. The point of the show is this is going to be fun adventures with, with fun characters that have powers. Don't worry too much about the details. Yeah, and they go to pick up their next recruit, who is a twenty-year-old Courtney Cox. Mm-hmm. She's so young in this, huh? That is crazy. Uh, but she's playing a character named Gloria Dinello, or as they call her, Glow. Glow. That's right. Yeah. And here's the weird thing. So she has powers. We're gonna learn, which are sort of like, um, I guess she can use her mind to like push and pick up and sort of like move objects around, like like she's uh, Professor X or she's something. She's like Carrie. Yeah, she's or like Carrie. Carrie, but. Um, when we meet her, she's like in like, like a mental ward of some sort. No, it's kind of odd. When they introduce her, they we see her at a mall, and her powers are going crazy, and the mall's being apparently torn to pieces by her. Mm-hmm. We're sort of told, that, and then the next time we see her, we realize she's got a probation officer, Jane Miller, who is for some reason also a main character on the show, even though she does very little other than I guess she's sort of there to be the person who protects Glow. Yeah, and and as I mentioned, she's the person who had the previous relationship with Billy because we found that when he was trying to help Gloria in a similar way to Johnny, he was also then, like, having an affair with her probation officer. (laughs) He's a real monster. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say, but because Glow has these powers and she's been in trouble a lot, uh, the probation officer, Jane, is always always trying to get her out of trouble. She really feels for her. And and sort of her backstory is that... um, Glow's mother has been institutionalized, and she's become a bit of a juvenile delinquent. And the mum claims that her father is from outer space. Like, the father of Glow is from outer space, and that's why that's she's right. institutionalized. So she comes from a very troubled background, essentially. Yeah, and I th- I have a feeling they're not going to mention this uh, father from outer space too much after this. Oh, who knows? We might see an alien. Maybe. Maybe. But because she trashed this mall, she's currently locked up in what appears to be a prison. And they're talking to the prison warden. Like, the probation officer is trying to get her out. And then, for some reason, Dr. Hay shows up. And this prison guy, I guess, maybe Glow's been there before. But the prison guy's like, oh, Dr. Hayes, you're here. I'd love to help you with whatever thing you want to do to Glow. Like, he's <laughs> he doesn't want to let Glow out until Dr. Hay shows up. And then he's just like, absolutely. You can take her out of prison. No trouble. But again, this show... the. It's it's uh, uh, not their concern about these details. They're just like, don't worry about it. Everyone's on board because we need to keep this thing moving. But I do like that also Glow also does not like Dr. Hayes. When they open the prison cell to let her out, she uses her mind powers to literally rip a toilet off the wall and throw it at Dr. Hayes. Yeah, he has made quite the impression on everyone that he's met. He would have got so badly hurt by that toilet. There's no way they would have let her out. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot. That's a, uh, quite a bit to throw too. Uh, a toilet? 
She is very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. At any rate, the team is now assembled and they're like, all right, we got to go. We got to go save Beef from the thing. And he's not only has he gathered them, but he also, for some reason, has basketball uniforms that I guess he created for the human investigations team and their like corporate basketball squad, the misfits of science. Yeah, I feel like he's one of those people you sometimes get in an office who are way too jazzed about working together. And they're like, I made shirts, everyone. You're like, oh okay sure but i do like they're just like i've got these these are now our new team uniforms everybody has to get dressed up in a mrs the science basketball outfit complete with tracksuit and they do absolutely they climb into their ice cream truck which as you said is is i think to hold the ice man from to keep him cold mm-hmm. but uh largely is unused they just drive around in an ice cream truck yeah it's just like isn't it quirky they drive over to humidine they they get past some military guards by um, Glow uses her tel- telepathy to steal their weapons and they like hold them at gunpoint basically. I have a question about this scene though and not to dwell on it too much but the, they try to get into the facility there's military uh, guards there with like machine guns and Billy sort of this is where he uses the Tina Turner line um, but he sort of tries to talk his way in and when that doesn't work then Glow pulls the guns out of their hands and gives it to the, the misfits so they can get through but I was thinking I'm like what was was his plan A to talk his way in and plan B was to use the powers? Because it seems like you have the powers. Why not just do that for the beginning? And, and I guess the point is that we can see how hilarious Billy is. Well, I think the idea is Dr. Hayes. Is his name first name Billy? Is that what he is? Billy, Billy, yeah. yeah. I think the idea is, is he's such a, a scoundrel, a, a rapscallion. Because what we see immediately <laughs> after this, too, is like, you know, the, there's clearly no plan to get past those military guys. And then when they get to the door to enter the building... It's locked as well. And he apparently, like, I think the idea is just like, they're all like, he's like, trust me, I've got a plan. And when you get there, he's like, he hasn't thought anything through at all. Right, right. So, and, and you're and, supposed to be like, ah, oh, what a silly guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a card. Um, Johnny B then blasts open the door because, uh, uh, because it's locked, as you say. But what I liked about this is he, she blows the door in. And then because of this, uh, like the explosion, all the, um, the fire, or what do you call it? The uh, sprinklers. The sprinklers, excuse me. The sprinklers all go on. And I thought that was a pretty well done uh, limitation for Johnny. So it's so they can separate the characters and you don't have them overpowering the villains. It's like, okay, well, Johnny can't go in now. He'll be outside while the other ones go inside. Yeah, he'll stay with the ice cream truck. Everyone else goes inside through the, through the rain because he doesn't want to get burned. They encounter some more guards. And once again, Glow kind of uses her telepathy powers, which is just like when she uses them, it's just a close up of Courtney Cox. And then they just go from like positive to negative images on her face really quickly. Exactly. And in this time, she she lifts the two guards off the ground, pins them to the ceiling and spins them around like a top is how she's 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 uh, dealing with these guards. But what's interesting about this is you have her then now stuck because she needs to, I guess, visually see what she's doing. So. Johnny's stuck outside. She's now stuck, you know, twisting these guys up on the ceiling. And now we're down to uh, Billy and L. And probation officer Jane. Oh, and Jane's there, who also doesn't do anything. She's always just kind of there. Yeah. But, I mean, this is the point. Is like they need to get rid of these other two. Every character uses their power and then gets stuck behind so that mm-hmm. each new power. Because each, each, if you, they're all too powerful, so you really need to, like, leave them behind so that uh, Dr. Doctor Lincoln can get his chance. L can get his chance to use his tiny powers, which is they get to the labs. They see Beef and Dr. Mum inside, but the door is locked. But there's a little vent over top of the door. So uh, L shrinks himself down to Kendall size. 
they throw a string over the door and he climbs over and he's like hanging off the string and he needs to swing like he's on a little swing to kick a button that says unlock the door basically so you get a lot of you get a lot of pretty good effects work of like him on a green screen being tiny in front of stuff and like they did like a nice pov shot when he's swinging i was surprised by how good the like tiny man work was yeah yeah and it's i'm i'm curious to see in in, uh future episodes the situations they find themselves in that that becoming small helps because in this sort of thing i get it like there's sort of like he can get through things to open doors and stuff other than that though i don't know what how useful that power is maybe i'm not enough of an ant-man fan I mean, Jordan, I think you know that I was just going to write every episode to force it to happen. Yeah. Like, it's, un- it's unfortunate when you see a power that's like, this is not that useful. You're like, well, I guess I'll have to watch how they try to shoehorn this in every episode. Right. Anyways. Anyway, it, you're right. The, the effect is pretty good. He has to use his momentum to sort of swing and hit the button, which opens the door. And then they're able to get to uh, uh, old beef. And I can't remember the other doctor's name. Old, old man. Dr. Mum. Mum. Dr. Mum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I'm curious to see, because obviously it's the pilot, it's a two-hour pilot, so it's got a lot more time and money put into it. I am a little worried that the effects work on the miniature stuff will get, like, worse. You know, it's not top-notch, but it's, they're mm-hmm. doing a good job of, like, 1980s miniature work here. Um, I'll, we'll see if they're able to keep it up as they go. You make a good point, though. This has a pretty, a pretty healthy budget for what it is. There's a ton of cars, a ton of military vehicles, there's helicopters, there's explosions, there's special effects. Like, this looks like they put some decent money into it, so uh, that's not a slam against this show at all. Like, it looks, like, obviously it's it's 1985 or whatever it is, 1986. When was the Challenger? Um, so, uh, <laughs> I, I base everything on that, pre and post. Um, so, the effects obviously have aged, but for the time period, I'm like, this looks like a pretty decent TV movie. No, absolutely. The I would say the only thing, and it's very funny, it made me laugh quite a bit, about the miniature work around L, Dr. L, is that at times they need Dr. Hayes to interact with a tiny Dr. Right. L. And occasionally they'll shoot it so you see a tiny version of him and he's looking up and talking to him with a green screen. But they need him to pick up the doctor. And so what they've done is they, they're trying to not focus on it, but they've literally put like what I think is a Ken doll yeah. on the ground. But the actor playing Dr. Hayes treats it with all the care of an actual plastic Ken doll. He, like, just grabs it and, like, tosses it around, and it just, like, looks like you would have killed that man. That's right. Oh, and I should mention one thing we haven't uh, we haven't said, which it's kind of funny, and I'm going to say realistic, which obviously I understand it's not realistic because he's shrinking himself. But uh, when uh, El- Elvin uh, shrinks himself... He, of course, is now naked because his clothes don't shrink. So I think it's going to be like a running gag through the show that they have to keep, like, finding him clothing either when he's tiny or when he grows back to normal size. I mean, they do the joke a couple of times where he's got uh, he's got Ken doll clothes one time. And the next time they have to wrap a, a jacket around his mid- his waist when he comes back. Mm-hmm, exactly. But yeah, right. Anyway, they, they save Dr. Mom. They save Beef. There And did you notice this? For some reason, in the interim, someone's made Beef a refrigerator suit. That's right. Yeah, it's it's because <laughs> they realize at a certain point, okay, we've now done the gag that he can't get hot, so we've put him in freezers and stuff. Well, we still need him to walk around and like just make him a suit. It's like a silvery kind of padded suit. Yeah, it's it's a big spaceman suit, big silver spaceman suit, and they're like, it keeps him cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, problem solved. And parole officer Jane finally gets something to do because Beef 
we I, for reasons that are unclear his brain doesn't work properly he just yells amelia so they're like jane just say your name is amelia and get him to follow us and that is her job for the rest of the episode yeah because i think at first the only time they were able to get him out of her room and we don't need to go over the scene it's a previous scene is they give him a chocolate bar and that was enough to entice him out um that's am i wrong that's not exactly true this is the thing i didn't know how to talk about so we'll talk about it now but early on, they do give him a chocolate bar, and they will give him more chocolate bars over the course of the episode. But when you give Beef a chocolate bar, it knocks him unconscious. What? Don't you, In the first scene we see him, they're like, here, eat this frozen chocolate bar. He takes one bite, and he just passes it. Like He just falls backwards, and that's how they subdue him the first time. And then they will get him back to the ice cream truck here, give him another chocolate bar, and that will knock him unconscious again. I thought he was just... <laughs> I thought he was just like content, because <laughs> I thought I, I don't remember the first one, but I remember the second time because then he goes. I thought he was just like ah, that was my hunger satiated, and he like went and laid down in the um in the little cooler. Yeah, no, the first time we see it happen is when he's breaking and the military's watching, and they give him that shot. He takes one bite of it, he smiles, and he literally falls backwards as if he's lost consciousness. So, so bizarre. And they never go into details as to why a chocolate bar causes him to be completely incapacitated, but it does. But the point of that is, don't focus on that too much, like anything in the show. The point is that Jane, with her, like, murky post haircut, she now has to pretend she's Amelia Earhart so that he will follow her out, still saying Amelia, even though, again, we don't know why any of this is connected in any way. It's all a mystery. (laughs) Yeah. Amelia! Amelia! Pretty good. Outside, the military's heard this explosion they're, they've shown up to, like, prevent them from stealing beef. So there's, like, hundreds of military guys are pulling up. Like, it's a huge budget. Like, so many cars, mm-hmm. so many extras pull up. And Johnny B is outside. He sees them all pulling up. And he's like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And he looks over and he sees there's, like, a, a power transformer nearby that says dangerous, high voltage. And he's like, I've got an idea. To which point they start playing the song, Johnny Be Good, to which he starts singing the entirety of the song, yeah. Johnny Be Good, as he electrocutes himself to like overpower himself and then starts shooting electricity bolts killing military men left and right yeah it's like a a, like a little musical segue of like action scene where he sings the song it plays and then he also horribly kills people with his powers it was i was like so we're gonna get a musical sequence eh? all right let's do it yeah yeah do you think it's gonna happen every episode they like they just got the rights for the for that song for the entire season and they only be johnny be good that's it he, like, beats the military back. They all get outside of the building. Everyone gets into the ice cream truck, and they drive off and escape. And they've saved they've saved beef. Um, and as they're leaving, Dr. Mum explains to Hayes and Lincoln that uh, he has discovered that that neutron beam has actually already been built. And it's up to the misfits of science to get out to the desert where the bunker that contains it is hidden. And they're going to have to stop them from, like, I don't know, having this beam. Yeah. Oh, and let me mention one quick thing here that doesn't have to do with anything, really, this show. But there's a couple, like, car chase scenes that happen. There's one previous to this and later on. And what I love about it is there's a shot that they used to use in TV that they don't use anymore, which is the chase scene. And then there's a low-angle camera, and the car jumps over the camera to show how extreme the race is. And I I missed that shot in TV. I haven't seen it in a long, long time. And they do it a couple times in this, and, and I really enjoyed it. You were, you were at the edge of your seat being like, yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, that's exactly, that was exactly what they wanted. I was like, yeah, oh, can you believe how this, it's jumping over the camera. 
I will say those chase sequences are fun, especially when they get to like off-roading the desert, because that ice cream truck looks like it's going to fall over at any second. It's so misbalanced to be doing jumps. I think it's it works well because it is silly that they would have this uh, this vehicle that is really not meant for what they're using it for, and I, I think intentionally the sort of ricketiness of it uh, works really well. Yes. Yes, I agree. It kind of it's it's a fun to watch. But at this point, our sort of they've they've saved beef and Doctor Mom, and they've introduced the B plot or the second goal they're trying to get is now stop this beam. And so the next day, they're headed out to the desert. Sort of they've driven all night, and that bunker they're headed to that's holding the beam. It also happens to be the exact day that the military is testing the security of the bunker that's going to hold the theoretical beam. So. All the elite military special forces are there trying to breach this bunker in an effort to prove that it's unbreachable because none of them can get past the water hazard. Right. And now let me ask you this. Is it coincidental that the reporter is there or is it that the reporter is, that's the story. That's the story she's she's telling. Oh, this is the story. Here, whatever happens. So this this show takes place Maybe over three days. Maybe. Yeah. This is day three right now. Mm-hmm. So from day one, when the Congress has like said, we will let you build the neutron beam if you can prove a bunker secure enough to hold it. In the course of those two, like 48 hours, it's become a national news story, an international news story. Yeah. A reporter is there to report on whether the military can breach the bunker. We get to see like lots of TV footage of anchors talking about it. We get to cutaways of like, protests around the world demanding they not build this neutron beam like huge protests of thousands and thousands of people like so much stuff has happened and not only that the news is also reporting on the fact that humanidine had a break in that night before by a group of terrorists known as the misfits of science who i believe they say they think they're either part of the like black september movement or maybe affiliated with castro or something that's right and but then they they quickly uh of course uh capture the attention of the world and everyone's on their side they're like these people aren't bad they're actually trying to stop this thing which we all are also protesting so they're on our side these misfits they're heroes yeah it's it's very funny because like it's all so much happens like and the, uh, my favorite part is the senator one of the senators is there like overseeing the military like yeah. attempt to break into this bunker and she's being in, he's being interviewed by a reporter and the reporter's like then asked him he's just like hey so are you at all worried that about this bunker after the break-in last night at the exact same company who's supposed to be doing the security here and he's just like well it is a bit of a concern that they were broken into by a bunch of misfits of science yesterday but the bunker seems pretty secure yeah i like i like the idea of them putting this senator in uh in this newscast to sort of uh you know talk his way out of things but he's terrible at it he's just like yeah that didn't that didn't look good for us did it anyways i hope this thing doesn't also go badly i'm like guys get someone else someone else to be a press person we got to actually, between them leaving and getting to this bunker, we we got a ton of exposition scenes and character development scenes where they, yeah. they are hanging out. You got to meet the misfits. Like like you said, we get to we get to learn more about the romance between uh, Doctor Billy Hayes and uh, probation officer Jane. And then for some reason, seventeen year old Glow decides she's in love with the forty five year old rock star Johnny B <laughs> and is trying to like make out with him. And he's just like, "That's not cool. Please don't do that." Yeah, I mean, well, you got to give Johnny credit. He's just like, I don't think this is appropriate. And then she, like, really takes it badly. Yeah, she takes it really hard. Glow takes it really hard, that rejection. That's supposed to be, like, a big thing. Like they're, 
by the end of it, she realizes, oh, we're family, so we can't make out. So, like, we're they're all friends by the end. But it's, like, a, a, a weird turn midway through. And it's all predicated on, as they, as they were running away from uh, Humanodyne after they won, Johnny B gives everybody a kiss on the cheek, including Glow. And she's just like, "You, but you kissed me on the cheek. Yeah. And he was like, but me, you, uh. Anyways, she gets really upset about that. To be fair, she's supposed to be 17. Yeah, I know. Well, you had that trouble when you were 17. Every time one of your aunts kissed you on your cheek, you were just like, we're in love. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> but it is all sort of a prelapse to give us a little more character development before we get to the big climax when they a big rock song starts playing. I don't know if you caught this rock song, but I like, I, I'm sure specially made rock song for the episode starts playing about teamwork. <laughs> and they, the teamwork rock song plays as they drive toward the bunker in the desert. And, and the news starts reporting that the misfits of science are here. And the entire world starts cheering for them to save them from the neutron beam. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I got to say, this is a classic, obviously, superhero thing where it's just like going from like vigilante villain to like the world loves you kind of thing. But this is the fastest I've ever seen it play out. Well, if you're, as you mentioned, in real world time, it's been like 72 hours. Where they, like, were fired, became terrorists, and then, like, world heroes. I would say it's less than that, though, because the world only found out about the Misfits of Science arguably six hours ago when they drove <laughs> out right. of Humanodyne. They woke up in the morning to news about them breaking in and thinking they're terrorists. And in the next sort of, like, two hours, they arrive to, like, destroy the neutron beam. And that two hours, people just see them pull up in a van. They're like, well, they're heroes now. But I do like this. It's a science for life. Because as you mentioned before, there's sort of like a lot of shots of um, uh, protest and other newscasts and stuff. But what they also cut to is reactions of people. And one of them is Billy's mom. And she like faints at like the hair salon when she sees what he's doing. Um, and there's like the other probation officer or whatever. And there's all these other people. And I, I'm sure you caught this. They go back to who I think it is. It's the secretary that works at Humanide. Yeah. And she's just watching soap operas. Yeah, that's there's a running gag where every every character we've met is watching them on TV, except for her, who's just watching Days of Our Lives. And I think there's something I, I really thought that was funny. This like character who's just like, yeah, I don't care about any of this, but they keep coming back to her. I thought that was well done. It's 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 a lot of fun. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. At any rate, they're there. They just like drive right up to the bunker. And get out and then run inside of the bunker. And they're like, we've got to go in there. We've got to stop them. And like, you know, the military sees them go in. So that you're sort of being chased through this bunker. And mm-hmm. there's this whole thing where they're like, they've really teased us with like, they've built this ultimate security system to keep people out of this bunker. Like that's been the tease this whole time. And we know yeah. that the only people who are going to be able to get past it are going to be these misfits of science. Like that's what we're expecting as an audience. They get in there, they're in this bunker, and they're like, there's the door that the weapon is probably behind. Let's run toward it. And I was like, all right, it's going to take all of their different powers to get past all the various different things that are going to happen. I know. I thought the exact same thing. And they push a button, and it opens, and there's a swirling vortex, like a giant swirling Mm -hmm. Stargate vortex, which we're told is made of water. And this is the water hazard don't get behind. And, of course, you know, there's a whole thing where they're like, oh, no, we're never going to get past it. Uh, Beef doesn't have enough coldness. And then he, like almost sacrifices his life to freeze it. But there's no further security other than this swirling vortex. Well, I think the beat they missed here was what they really should have had is through the previous encounters of this team, they sort of just through pure luck uh, were able to to defeat the, the challenge they had. You know what I mean? Like they didn't work as a team. So 
they just just thankfully made it through it. And now at the end of the episode, they've realized, oh, we need to work as a team. And if we do, if you do your power and I do my power and we do it in this way, we can look what we can accomplish. That's really what should have happened. But because they already were working well together, they're just like, oh, it's water. What can we do? Oh, we've got a frozen guy. He'll freeze it. Done. Done. Well, I think it's it's late in the episode. There's not much time left, but it was right. such a tease where I was just like, for sure, it's going to require them all to team up to get past. Like, I, I thought it was going to be a heist, a series mm-hmm. of obstacles, but it's one single obstacle that just beef just freezes. Which, by the way, they do you think like it's hard to tell what uh, what would happen if you just went into that water other than, I guess, get caught in in the, like the riptide of, of sorts. But there's got to be other ways you could have stopped this. Like, it doesn't seem like the ultimate uh, defense. It is very weird. And, it, like, I mean, other than the fact that they're somehow holding water perpendicular perpendicular <laughs> in a whirlpool somehow, defying all physics. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It didn't – I was just, like, shocked once they froze it and that was the only piece of security. Yeah, yeah. I will say, though, to the credit of the budget to this project, it's it's the shortest shot. Like, it's on screen for 30 seconds, but they – they freeze the vortex, which the vortex looks cool. It's like a yeah. blue screen shot of like a spinning, spinning thing. But when they freeze it, the entire cavern they have to walk through becomes a spinning, like it's spinning with ice all around. Like yeah. there's, a, there's a huge vortex of ice spinning around. It's all practically built that they actually have to run through. And it looks really, really cool. And it's just like there for 30 seconds. I'm like, how much money do they spend on I this know. like spinning frozen vortex? It looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, it does look good. It is funny though, because yeah, it feels like it should have been a bigger piece, but they're just like, anyways, it's a hallway. Moving on. Moving on to helicopters. But yeah, they, they run through, the military chases them through that, and then they, they're almost there. They can see for whatever reason, the neutron beam is sitting in a glass container on an elevator. Yeah. And we're told the idea is you push a button. To use it, and the neutron beam will raise out of this mm-hmm. mountaintop, out of the basement of this mountain, to the surface of it, and then I guess they can shoot it. That's, I guess, how it works. Is once you get past the water hazard, you push a button, beam goes up, and then someone can use it if they want. Yeah. And the misfits of science are like, well, let's go over there. Let's push the elevator button. That'll just expose the entire world that they've already built the beam, uh, and then they'll be humiliated. We win. Yeah, it does feel, though, that the stakes were lower than they should have been because you're right. What they're trying to do is just show the world that they were dishonest about building the thing, which seems weird to me. Not that uh, uh, that this thing is being created in itself. It's that they've lied about, you know, the order and the calendar in which this was built. I think, yeah, the issue is we know what they're going for. They're going there to stop this beam. But once they get in the room with the beam... I realized, like, oh, we've never set up any exposition or stakes or, like, what the plan is to do anything about the beam. So yeah. when they announce, it's like, let's make the elevator go up and people will see it. It's just, like, such a, like, I'm like, what? That's, I guess so. Like, you're just like, that's the plan? Yeah, no, it's like, why not just take it apart and then go, look what we did. We we destroyed the thing. Like, it's, it works just as well. But you're right. It's because they want one more beat. Because, as you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, they need a final climax. Yeah, because... The you would think getting through the system, as you're saying, like the series of uh, challenges them to use their powers is what it's going to be. Because, but it's not. So they're like, well, that's defeated. Okay, now we have to fight the big bad guy, which is Larry Linville. Yeah, and I mean, there's a little bit of back and forth here, where like uh, this is where this is where Johnny B is like, my powers are tapped repeatedly because he's yeah. trying to get him to do something. I think he gets grazed by a bullet, and that's when Glow like decides to defend her her new family member by using her powers are so crazy overpowered. She's like throwing dozens of military guys 
backward. Like, she's so powerful. Yeah, they need to figure a way to uh, dampen that because, again, they she doesn't need the rest of the team. Her power is so strong. It's like, really, really, her and Johnny, that's all you really need. Truly, truly. She, like, just throws men around. It's mm-hmm. uh, And this allows them to push the button, send the beam up the elevator. Unfortunately for them, of course, uh, General Thale and Dr. Strickland, they, 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 were, they thought this might happen. So they've gone <laughs> back to the top of the bunker. They're waiting next to the elevator with a helicopter. And as soon as the uh, neutron beam arrives, they just grab it and load it onto a helicopter. And the only reason anyone even notices is the senator who's on the ground with the, with the reporter, he looks <laughs> up, he's like, hey, that's that thing they said they were going to build. I guess they already built it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again... He's not good on the news. I would say that was the thing. It was so funny because it just comes up in like this thing. I was just like, if the plan was to expose them to the world, they could have gotten away with it very easily. No one no one would have seen the beam if the senator had it pointed out. Exactly. But the point of this is um, the military now has this beam. It's on the helicopter. So they're now like a huge flying weapon. Yeah. I mean the military it does the rest of this starts getting insane like it's just because you need a big bad guy in a finale yeah. but the general and dr strickland get on this helicopter they're flying around and the senator turns around to one of the military guys who's on the ground he's just like hey we can't let them take that beam shoot them out of the air and the military guy's like i don't know if i can take orders from a senator but uh i guess fire a warning shot at them like military yeah. structure broke down immediately like yeah he immediately <laughs> fires at his own general the general is just like, well, I didn't enjoy that warning shot. I'm going to start <laughs> killing all of my men on the ground. My own men. I'm going to start yeah. blowing them up with this neutron beam. And he, like, blows up a bu- like hundreds of military guys on a mountain. Well, it's, they don't really set him up as an insane person, right? And that's the sort of response he has is that he's maniacally crazy. But it's just like, why does he do that? It's like, oh, because we, we need him to be the villain. Yeah, he just he just becomes like hardcore villain, killing his own men with his beam. Of course, the misfits of science finally arrive back on the back on the surface, and Johnny and Glow, they try to use their powers to bring down the helicopter, but they're both weak from the battle down. Like both their powers are like weak. They're be- tapped. No, they're tapped. They are tapped, aren't they? Yep. And you know they try to bring it down, and of course the helicopter knows he's there. So the general's like, pivot, pivot this helicopter. I'm going to blow up the misfits of science with the neutron beam, and um. The payoff we've all been waiting for since the beginning of the episode finally happens, Jordan. It finally happens. Is there is a helmet, a military helmet on the ground near the feet of Dr. Elvin Lincoln, a man yeah. notorious for his inability to play basketball. Yeah. And Dr. Hayes says, pass me that helmet. And Dr. Dr. Elvin, Dr. L needs to chest pass the helmet like a basketball. To Dr. Hayes, who is arguably within arm's reach of him. Mm-hmm. No reason to, pa- to do this, but he needs to do a shoulder a shoulder pass, uh, or a chest pass of this, basket, this, this helmet. Once Dr. Hayes has the helmet, he does a jump shot with the helmet so that the helmet hits the blades of the, of the helicopter, yeah. which arguably would do nothing. But it, dis- it causes the helicopter to jostle so badly by, by like this, 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 <laughs> this helmet hitting the blades. That the general accidentally swivels the beam inside of the helicopter, shoots the helicopter, Mm -hmm. killing everyone inside, and I guess destroying the beam in the process. Yeah, and the world celebrates. Don't you think, though, obviously this is not a great finale. It's just like, really? This is how you end it? But 
shouldn't it have been L that threw it? If his whole thing is that he was so terrified of basketball, why didn't he throw the shot? And it was like, I know, like, there's other problems. We, we don't need to get into that. But, like, if that was the motivation you set, silly or not, or offensive or not, then just follow through with that. It's like, oh, maybe you can play basketball. It was crazy to me. Like, I knew the other two were weak, so I'm like, how on earth are they going to uh, use Dr. L's shrinking powers? And when he pointed at the helmet, I was like, oh, is he going to shrink down? Are they going to throw the helmet up there? I thought mm-hmm. like, I thought that's maybe where they were going because they kept pointing at the helmet. And then to reveal this, like, the finale is, chest past me that helmet and I'll do a jump shot. I'm like, this? Like, this is what all that setup at the beginning of the episode was leading to? Is for you to do, a, like, a jump shot with a, with a helmet? Well, uh, Luke, they established early on, Billy likes basketball. It's crazy. It was crazy to me that this was the climax. Because, yeah, like... It's all destroyed. Literally everyone in the world celebrates. We get a cut to the news and we get to see every single country on the earth with yeah. a huge crowd all cheering for the misfits of science. Yeah. Now, do you think they're going to have to retcon this a little bit and have them be less famous? Because you'd assume now, based on in this in-world, they're the most famous people in the world. My assumption is they're going to be like the Ghostbusters now. Like they're going to get calls, they're going to go cases, and they're going to go out. They're going to have a. They're going to be like a private company who goes and right. solves problems. That's right. what I think that's headed to. So I think it's. I think they want everyone to know about them. No, but all these characters that that's are my bet. May, maybe or maybe not in love because we get like a scene with like Jane and Billy making up from their from him being a jerk and they like kiss and you're like oh so they're a thing now maybe. I was surprised that Dr. Billy and Probation Officer Jane kissed at the end. I thought they'd, I thought they'd give us more will they, won't they, but I, they, they really let them have it right at the end. But I'm sure they'll go back to a little will they, won't they in the next episode. Yeah. But I also like that, you know, basically like, oh, we're a team now and a family and everything's good. And then they high five each other. Um, and it's like freeze frame credits. And you're like, oh, that's great. Then they have the weirdest, what would you call this, denouement after the credits? Remind me, I've forgotten already. They they high five. Credits go on. The music. You're like, what a good time. I love this series. I want to keep watching episodes. Then we cut to the the secretary who was watching the soap opera, and she just turns off the TV, and then walks out. Like you, the audience. I was just like, but but why is she like? Is she an evil character we're supposed to follow, or is it just that she's she doesn't care? Like I don't understand what the point of it was. It's just so funny, Jordan. I guess. I guess. Because she didn't know anything that happened. She watched Days of Our Lives. Now it's over and she's going to go yeah. about her day. She missed yeah. the whole thing. I'm glad they added that in. The entire the entire climax took place during the episode during a single episode <laughs> of Days of Our Lives. That's right. And that's the show. That's the first episode. And I have to say, we've watched a lot of TV series um, to varying degrees. And a lot of these sort of like um, uh, movie length pilots... And sometimes they work better than others. Like we were saying, some of them, sometimes you get sort of like two things jammed together or they have, it just feels like an episode that stretched out. This felt like an actual, like the plot was enough for a movie. Like, like whether you like it or not, it felt like an hour and a half worth of content. Yeah, no, I think structurally it actually feels like a film, 100%. Like they, the beats are all there. Yeah. It all kind of comes together. Like, it, it, you know, if this were just a one-off pilot, the ending would be a satisfactory ending. It yeah. all, it, like, I would agree. I think all the pieces are there. It's very big budget. They put a lot of work and effort into this. Like, it all feels, it feels big. It feels big. Yeah, I'm curious to know in subsequent episodes if this is if this is what the show is going to look like. Like, is this the budget? Is this the tone? Is this, like, I have a feeling it is. Like, I'll say this as we, you know, rate this real quick. I don't think this is, this is not a great show. This is not a show where it's there's nuanced characters and there's complicated plots or there's um, 
interesting morality or anything like that. However, it's a fun show, and it's a show that, um, and I can't put this uh, 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 maybe better. It's it it knows what it is, and it knows what it is very well. And I think a lot of times for these shows, there's this confusion. You get this like tonal questionability where you're just like what what kind of show are you trying to make like the jokes don't quite quite work with the action or uh the characters don't quite work with the setting you have but this show for all intents purposes is like hey guys these are fun cool characters they've got fun powers and they're gonna have a good time along the way don't you want to watch this and i think it it's very clear what this show is and what it will be well what do you want to give it jordan now that you've given your little breakdown I'm going to give, I, I thought this was a really good little pilot. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10 room to grow, you know? Fair enough. Yeah. It's, I, I think I agree almost entirely. It's um, tonally. It has that eighties excess. Yes. Of like comedy, weirdness, lots, you know, fake punk rock. All, like all this stuff is there. It, it feels very much like, I think if you are a fan of Ghostbusters or, Goonies or any of these like mm-hmm. big 80s things that like are such nostalgia bait. I think if you were to watch this, you'd be shocked you'd never heard of it because it it scratches literally all of those itches. Yes. And it really like kind of knows tonally what it's trying to do. And it like it couldn't exist anywhere but 1985. This yeah, like, it's like it, you're it right. lives it's, exactly it's, where it should. Exactly. It's Ghostbusters. It's Back to the Future. It's Goonies. It's it's whatever those sort of adventure action things that only really existed for that decade. That's what this is. It can. It's bringing that energy that's half camp and like half weird. And it just having it's just like, don't worry, just have fun. That that's the that's the energy of it. Also, that scene where um Billy and L are just like on the boardwalk, where he first reveals that he's he can shrink, and like girls like walk by, and Billy's like, "Hey, ladies, stuff." I was like, "This is the most eighty scene I've ever seen." Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for that. I was shocked by how well they did the thing they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I agree, it's not perfect. Um, and I I honestly. I don't think this is going to hold up for very long, but I think as a pilot, it's like an exceptionally well done pilot. That's what I'm worried uh, about. Even though not all of it works, but I'm going to give a seven as well. Yeah. I'm worried that you're right, that this is sort of like the highlight that they were like, this would be a really fun movie that you'd accidentally come across sometime and maybe they don't have the legs, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think the problem is the powers. Well, there's a couple things that's weird. Let me just mention, we're going to, we're going to learn as I say that the uh, beef is not going to be in this anymore. But it's weird to me that you have, what, five characters and two of them don't have any powers. Yeah, two of them don't have any powers and two of them have all the powers that are going to solve all your problems. Exactly, exactly. And a guy who shrinks. My concern is more that just like, what's this going to be week to week? It's going to be the same. It's going to be, you're going to have to do a very similar adventure week to week. And mm-hmm. like like we talked about, you're going to have to jam in a shrinking thing. You're going to have to jam in an electricity thing. I'm a little, I'm just a little concerned it's not going to hold up. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But you're right. If it's if it's done well, you won't notice that they have to have Johnny stand back, or they, you know, they you'll have to jam in the shrinking thing. Hopefully, it works a little more organically. But also, this show only had one season, so probably not. Yeah, well, we'll find out. I will say though, if if you want to watch a weird unsung pilot, it's definitely worth the watch. Of I agree. Pilot. I agree. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. So, uh, listener. You can email us continuedreg at gmail.com, as always. And on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some clips of the various weird superpowers from the show, uh, the, X, the X-Men to be, if you will. <laughs> um, and you can find those at continuedreg at gmail. Oh, no. Uh, that's not right. At continuedreg. That's the handle. That's, that's how we one. do that on Instagram and Twitter. 
And that about wraps it up. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. I'll see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.